Good morning. How's everybody this morning? Good deal. Uh, I love that song. Um, my wife and I actually, uh, I had nothing to do with the set list, but my wife and I actually had uh, that last song at our wedding. I think it's such a good anthem um, for a life or for a marriage. Um, I'm, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Sterling Hitch. I am married to a tremendous woman. I have two kids um, that really just make life great. Don't you love kids? I mean, it seems like everything's wrong in life sometimes, and then there's your kid, you know? And it's like they, the way they see the world, their perspective of things. Um, there are a lot of roles that we fill, a lot of titles that we have, employee, employer, uh, brother, sister, spouse. But I think dad is one of my favorite. I just, I, I cherish that role. I cling to it. I love it. I love being a dad. Um, when my, my wife and I have two children, um, when she was pregnant with our second child, um, it was not planned. It was extremely welcomed, though. We were really, really excited about it. I remember coming home from work. Uh, I usually get home from work about two in the morning, and um, I went into the bathroom, and um, I found a note in the bathroom, and it said, "It's from my wife." <laughs> she has a sense of humor. It said, "I found out on the toilet, and so can you." She said, I'm pregnant. And then she was hiding around the corner. I didn't know she was still awake because she usually is not. And then she jumped out. We freaked out. We were super excited because it's not something we were trying for. Um, it was awesome. I remember when we took that news and told uh, her, her, our family, but her parents specifically, um, we had our, our son who was about a year and a half at the time. And um, we had Natalie's mom change his diaper, but the diaper bag was stuffed with infant diapers, newborn diapers. And obviously, they didn't fit. And so my mother-in-law, Sharon, tried to change the diaper, couldn't find a diaper that fit. She couldn't figure out what was going on until she found out what was going on. And then she started crying. And then everybody else in the family hadn't yet figured out what was going on, so they were just really confused. Thought maybe she like got pooped on or something. She, she was crying. It was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget those memories, those moments. I also remember the one where um, it was a few months into pregnancy. My wife pulled me aside and said, hey, Sterling, I, I don't feel the baby anymore. Um, and I told her it was fine. It was her second one. Um, she's done this before. Her body's just adapted, I think I told her. Uh, I remember uh, going turkey hunting really early in the morning, about a week later, a few days later maybe. And I was, um, I just had my decoy set up. This is in May. And I was sitting in my blind. I just had it set up. And I got a text from her. And she said, uh, hey, Sterling, I'm, I'm bleeding. Um, I remember uh, going home, uh, packing up my blind and my decoys and going home. And um, we drove to the doctor, and the whole way there, it was, uh, hey, it's, it's fine. This is normal. This happens. And then I remember sitting at the doctor's office, 
um, with the ultrasound technician as she um, showed us a picture of our tiny baby, but there was no heartbeat. And I remember her telling us what we already knew eventually. I can't find a heartbeat. She tried for a long time. And then she left and, and got the doctor who came in and <clears throat> um, told us, hey, um, your baby's not alive. Um, but, but you're still going to have to deliver this baby at some point, probably in the next few days. I remember this was on a Friday. Uh, it was May the 11th, I think, 2018. And um, Saturday came, and we were, our whole world stopped, um, but no baby. And then Sunday came, and Sunday was Mother's Day. Um, and we came here and saw the Mother's Day service. And um, I think we took a picture at the photo booth. If any of you want to go back and research the old Facebook pictures, you'll see a family that looks like they were going through the Holocaust um, in this picture. We looked terrible. Uh, and then that night, uh, that night, um, my, uh, my wife went into uh, labor, whatever they call it when it's that early, and she delivered this tiny baby. Um, and we, uh, we think that, that God told us it was a boy, uh, but it was too small to know. We held him for a while. Um, and, um, and then life didn't really go back to normal. Um, and then a flood of people came around us and um, were there to, to try to help us. And some were very, very helpful. And some were very, very not helpful. Um... This month is Thanksgiving, and next month is Christmas. And it's the most joyous time of the year, right? Well, not for everybody. And, and I, as an elder team, we uh, wanted someone to come up here and talk about how this time of year is very, very difficult for some people. And I guess I got the assignment. Um, I can't imagine. I, I uh, lost a baby that I hadn't met. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like to lose a spouse or to lose a child that I knew. Um, and we want to we want to talk with our congregation about um, how that goes and 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 how to respond because I don't think we're doing a great job not this congregation, but just Christians in general. I don't think we know what to do with grief. Um, it says in Romans twelve fifteen to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. Um, and that's the best thing, is to just mourn with those who are mourning. And don't try to rush mourning. Don't try to rush grief. It never goes well. One of the things that people said to me often was that everything happens for a reason. Does it? Is that true? Because it seemed a lot like bullcrap to me. Another thing people said to me a lot was God's ways are not our ways. I think it's, that's, that's a scripture in Isaiah 55. God's ways are not our ways. That's very true. 
But that's not what that scripture is talking about. In my pain and my frustration, I pushed into this really hard to figure out, God, what, what, are, what, what does happen for a reason? You know, if everything happens for a reason, what's the reason? What caused this? And through a lot of pain and struggle, I, I was brought to, I, to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. I'm gonna, we're going to go through a lot of verses today, and I'm, I'm going to summarize a little bit just for the sake of time. In Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth, and it's recounted there. And then um, in Genesis 2, it's recounted the, um, the creation of man. Um, and then we very quickly usually go on to Genesis 3, which is the fall of man. But I want to pause. I don't want to do that right away. Just, just linger there for a minute. Um, it says that, uh, that, that God brought all the animals before Adam. Eve has not yet been created in this time. And, and God brought the animals before Adam, and he had the assignment of naming all of them. And so he names each one of them, um, and he sees that they're all paired up, and he sees that he isn't. Um, and he, he gets done with all that, and he, it, it says that, that um, he found none that were, that were suitable for him. So he's looking, you know, like, mm, no, no. Um, and then eventually, you know, God puts him to sleep. He takes a big nap, and God, when he awakens, there's this beautiful woman, which, has, um, which looks like him. It's in his likeness, but she's different in all the right ways. Um, and um, he's, he's just fascinated with her. Um, and let's not move to Genesis 3 yet. So we don't know how long uh, this, this relationship happened before the fall. We don't know. It doesn't specify a time in the Bible. Um, but um, just imagine sunsets uh, and the beauty before the fall of man. Um, imagine, the, uh, imagine rivers and imagine the birds and imagine the climate was perfect. You were never too hot or too cold. Um, just imagine the beauty that was there. Um, imagine the marriage that Adam and Eve shared. Um, there was no, there was no pride. There was no injured egos. Um, there was no hurt feelings of disrespect. There was no sharp words. There's no misunderstanding at all, actually. Just imagine this, this relationship that they had. Imagine that they walked with God every day. Um, they, uh, they were with him. We have to go, we have to sort through so much stuff here on earth to try to get through and experience God because there's so much of life that gets in the way. It's so hard to break through the physical and enter into the spiritual, you know. But they didn't have that problem. If they had a question from God, they went and talked to him. Friends, this is what God created, Okay. When God's ways are not his ways, that was his way. When, this was what he had in mind. This was his plan all along. And then, as you know, free will um, is, what, is what inspires love to be love. And then Genesis 3 occurs. And um, the, the man and the woman are, are deceived and they fall and, and uh, they choose something other than God. And when everything happens for a reason, Genesis 3 is the reason. That's why. 
if you're telling people who are grieving that everything happens for a reason, please stop. That's not helpful. Because when you're grieving, sometimes there is no reason. Other than Genesis 3, there is no reason for this. We are not made to live in this world the way it is right now. It was not made to happen. That's the reason. That's it. Sometimes that's it. Please stop saying that. If you're talking about God's ways are not our ways, you're talking about Isaiah 55, and God is actually telling his people he will show them mercy and loving kindness, and if that's hard for you to understand, my way's not your way. That's what he's saying there. So unless you're talking about that and saying God's grace is, is, and his favor for you is unmeasurable, unless you're saying it in that context, please stop telling people who are grieving that God's way is not your way. Because by the way, the loss of your kid is not his way either. And you're, you're hurting. You're not helping. Another thing that people said to me frequently during this time is, what is God trying to teach you? You know, in my moment of grief, honestly, I wanted to tell him who cares. I don't care. I don't care what God's trying to teach me. This sucks. I don't like it. It's horrible. Recently, I was getting a haircut a couple weeks ago, and my um, two-year-old, he's almost three, he was uh, trying to stand on the place that you st- he had to go with me. Um, so he was standing at the place where you put your feet, and I told him not to because I was concerned he was going to fall. Um, well, after a couple times of me telling him not to, I was distracted, and he stood up there anyway, and he fell, and he face-planted on that bar. And his lip was bleeding, and his eye was, looked like it was going to be a black eye. I mean, it was a, it was a big crash. Um, and um, I immediately rushed to his side, and I wanted to know if he was okay. And I held him, and I had the, my hairdresser lady or whatever find a Band-Aid, which was not necessary, but we stuck a Band-Aid on it to make him better. And I'm just telling you that in that moment, if I wouldn't have jumped up there and talked to him, but if somebody else would have, and if they would have rushed to his side and said, hey, what do you think your dad's trying to teach you in this moment? I would have dismembered them. I'm, I mean, serious, that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, God's, what I'm trying to teach my son in the moment. What matters is that my son's hurt, and I'm going to get him the care he needs. And, you know, maybe when he's all right and he's calmed down and, and a long time later, or maybe never, I might tell him, hey, we're not going to climb up there because you might get hurt. I'm not going to care about that in the time, though. It doesn't matter. What kind of heart of God are we, are we expressing to people when they're in the middle of hurting, and then we tell them, hey, what God, what's God trying to teach you? Please stop saying that. It's not helpful. Um, Ten years ago, when I was in high school, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, For those of you who heard my last message, I talked a lot more about it. Um, But I was diagnosed with cancer. It came very, very surprisingly. Um, I was in the middle of joining the military. The military told me I was not allowed to join any longer uh, because I had cancer. And my 18-year-old world was completely shattered. Um, both because of the diagnosis, but then also my future seemed like it didn't exist or it was going a totally different direction. And people trying to help me sent me a flood of texts, um, and without even opening my phone, I could almost tell you what they were going to say, like, oh, look, I haven't heard from this person in a while. I know what this text is going to say. And it was Jeremiah 29, 11. 
For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And, and if you've been to a Christian high school graduation or even just birthday party or whatever, that's, that's a lot like the, a lot of times we write that verse. And it's fine. I mean, it's in isolation, that verse makes, you know, it seems like a really good thing. Um, it's really out of context, actually. Um, in the moment that, uh, that um, Jeremiah is, is, is writing, the Israelites are about to experience some of the worst times of their lives. They're about to be exiled. They're about to be exiled for 70 years. And what God's talking to, God's not saying to Jeremiah, hey, tell the people that their job promotion's around the corner. Uh, or tell, tell, tell the people that... Um, that their kid's going to do really well this next basketball game because he knows the plans he has for them. No, not what he's saying. Actually, what's happening there is God's talking to the nation of Israel, and he's telling them, your nation's going to survive this. I know the plans I have for it, and they don't end now. I know the plans I have for you. They're to prosper you as a nation and not to harm you. They're plans to give you hope and a future as a nation. Okay? It'd be like It'd be like if, um, if the Nazis came back and invaded uh, the United States and then uh, a prophet came and said, oh, America, United States, you're going to be in exile for 70 years, but God's not done with you as a nation. You're going to exist after this invasion. You're still going to be a nation. I know the plans I have for you. That would be the context. And when I received that, that verse, when people were texting me that verse, it it felt like I needed to rush my grief. It felt like I needed to, to, to hurry up and get done with my mourning because God knows the plans I have. It, it wasn't, nobody was coming on, uh, I shouldn't say nobody, but those people were coming along beside me and saying, hey, Sterling, this is terrible. I'm really sorry for your diagnosis. I'm really sorry that your future is going a completely different direction. Let me just sit with you for a while. No, it was, hey, by the way, I know this is terrible. God knows the plans I have for you. It wasn't helpful. Please, Please stop saying that. Please stop texting people or giving people that verse, unless you really mean that America is going to survive exile. Please stop using that verse out of context. It's not helpful. Um, another one that people frequently told me, both, in both times of my grief, in times of the loss of my child, and in my diagnosis, as people text me Romans 8.28, um, for many of you, this verse is familiar. Um, and it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And, and we're trying to say, people have tried to tell me, like, hey, God's working, working your good here. God's kind of making this happen for you. And that made me really mad, because I thought to myself, is God making this happen for me? Is God making my child die? Is God giving me cancer? What's that mean? Um, I'm going to take some moment to give context to this verse. I'm going to read, um, and after I'm done, if just, just listen if you want to. You can read along. Hear this context, though. Um, one of the things that we as, at Riverview really cling to is accurate scripture, um, and one of the things that gets us fired up a lot is when people take verses out of context, and you combine that with somebody who's grieving, and, and you've really, um, I think, I get especially passionate about, it, about uh, coming against that. Um, 
Romans 8, and we will start in verse 15, says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Talking about this world the way it is, how we're not supposed to live in it. That's what, this, that's what Paul is addressing in the Romans, is this world is not the way it's supposed to be, and you're living in it. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's the sufferings again he's talking about. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits eager in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its, pro, from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom. Right now, the world we're living in is decaying. It's, it's, this, is, this is not supposed to. It is. Um, that's, that's what sin did when it entered the world. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly and wait eagerly. What's saying is, is creation's groaning, but you have the Holy Spirit in you, the presence of God living inside you, and even you are groaning. Even, even you groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as the sons, the redemption of our bodies. Man, that sounds nice. For in this hope we, are, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we even ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. So in our pain, we don't even know what to pray. In our, in our confusion, in this world we live in, if, if we were in the Garden of Eden, we would just go talk to God. But we're so removed from that, we don't know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit's patient and graceful with us, and he intercedes for us. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And then it says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now it starts making sense. I'm not going to tell you not to text people Romans 8.28, because that's a, it's a sound verse. But know the context there. Know what's happening. Um, another verse that's, uh, that's used frequently is that God won't give you more than you can handle. I'm sorry, it's not a verse. It's a phrase. People say that a lot. Who started that? Who said that? I don't know, it's like on a greeting card? I don't know. That it's, not, it's not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that says God won't give you more than you can handle. This very world we're living in is more than we can handle. It's not supposed to be this way. That, that's why we have the Holy Spirit. This is more than we can handle. I think that most people are quoting 1 Corinthians 10, 13 when they are talking about he won't give you more than you can handle, but actually that says that he won't tempt you beyond what you can be tempted and he'll provide a way out for you. He's talking about idols, not, not talking about this world's so hard, it's, God's not giving you more than you can handle. That's, that's not true. It's not true at all. If you're, if you're telling that for pe to people who are grieving, stop telling them that. That's not helpful. It's really hurtful, actually. 
Because then when you can't handle it, when I couldn't handle it, I thought, well, I'm supposed to be able to. What's wrong with me? Well, I'm not supposed to be able to. Um, the, 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 probably the last, um, the last thing that I, I struggled with and that I didn't understand and was so, so hard for me um, was the idea that God took my child. Is that true? Um, I really pressed in on that one. I still have to. Um, I mean, does he, does he give and take away? Does he just take my child? I, um, I decided to uh, do a search on that because I wanted to know the truth and I didn't want somebody else telling it to me. I wanted to read it. So I searched, searched in Job. That verse is coming from Job, uh, chapter 1, verse 21. And, it, and um, he says, the, the Lord gives and he takes away. That's, that's, and he says it in an attitude of worship, which is um, admirable. Um, I'm going to pull up the exact verse here. It says, naked I came from my mother's womb. There it is. And naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the, may the Lord be, be praised. And the verse before that, he actually says that, that Job, after losing everything, worshipped and then said that. So his, his heart was in an attitude of worship. He was in a posture of worship when he said that, which is really cool. And Job, he was a, I mean, re, nothing here is to take away from Job. However, we know, we know the backstory here. We have a kind of a backstage pass, if you will, on what really happened behind the scenes. And God didn't take Job's family away or his things away at all. Actually, Satan did. Satan came up to God and said, hey, how about, God says, kind of brags on Job, how about my servant Job? And Satan's like, well, I bet you I can get him to fall. Give me permission to do these things. And God does. The biggest question I have is why did God allow my baby to die? I don't have an answer. But if we, if we don't correct ourselves, if we don't look at the scripture and think that God, if we think that God did it to us, it's a completely different pain and struggle than if we realize that God allowed it to happen to us. And I want to set us straight there. It's a different kind of grieving. Uh, if you guys have probably all heard the, there's a famous song by Matt Redman, You Give and You Take Away. That's not a bad song. Um, it's, it's right out of the Bible. Um, it's very common to us to think that the Lord gives and the Lord takes. But what's that do then when a child dies or, or when somebody's raped um, or the loss of a job? Is God taking those things from you? Is that what's happening? I would say emphatically no. Because if you're, if you're receiving that logic from, from Job, we know the backstory. We know that God didn't do that. Um, and, and then it ends up kind of poisoning, and it's corrected, but it, it begins to really decay Job. In chapter 9, it says, it's all the same. Job is talking, and he's disgruntled. It's all the same. That is why I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair. Talking about God, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds his judges. If it's not he, then who? And who is it? He's turned it back toward God. He's, it doesn't matter, nothing matters, because God took my, my family away. 
and he didn't. It really starts to do that a little bit later. When God tries to comfort him and starts talking to him, he says, are not the days of my life few? Leave me alone that I can find a little bit of comfort. He's trying to, he's, he's completely isolating himself. He's trying to tell God to leave him. And then he says, um, after God corrects him and, and in, his, in the most gentle way he can, uh, Job realizes that he's wrong. He realizes he's incorrect. In Job 42, verses 3 through 6, he says, Surely I spoke these things of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and, and ashes. He goes and repents of that. He repents of God thinking, thinking that God did those things to him. Crucial, pivotal moment there. Okay, so, so we, we have a whole list of things that, um, that are not helpful that we've talked about. Firstly, if you're grieving or if you have grieved, I want to address a couple things. Firstly, as a church, as an elder of this church, I'm really sorry for what you've heard, for the pain that you're experiencing because of the things people have said, misguided, maybe well-intended, but wrong. I'm sorry. Secondly, I want to free you to grieve. One of the really important things about grief is that it, it can't be rushed. Uh, rushed grief turns into bitterness. Grieve. Take your time. Uh, third thing I want to talk to you about is that, gr- that people grieve differently. Um, it seemed like uh, my wife, when we lost the child, seemed like my wife did a lot of crying in the first two weeks, and then it tapered off. And it seems like for me, I did not do a lot of crying in the first couple of weeks, but I still cry currently the same as I cried then. Once a week by myself, whatever it is, it hits me. My child's not here. So grief looks differently, and that I want you to, to feel free to grieve the way you're grieving, but also if you're next to somebody and you don't think they're grieving the way, you know, because they're not grieving the way you're grieving, give them a little bit of break, okay? They, they probably are just grieving differently. Um, one of the things that, that really helped me, um, back, to, back to Romans, just go grieve with them. Go mourn with those who are mourning. Um, one of the best things that one of the best things that happened to my wife and I when we were in the middle of that, we didn't tell a ton of people, but Anthony and Ashley found out and they invited us over to their house. And Ashley told me, I don't know what you're going through because I've never lost a baby, but I want to mourn with you. I want to grieve with you. And we just I think we talked to their house at like one in the morning and woke their kids up and, and they just stayed with us and they grieved and they cried and it was one of the most healing times for me because they just grieved with us. You don't have to go through the thing that the person's going through to grieve with them. Just go mourn with them. Just go mourn with those who are mourning. That's it. And don't, don't have a funny catchphrase and, and don't, tr- don't try to use optimism. One of the things, when I, when I was diagnosed with cancer, my brother, he's six years older than I, he's one of my best friends, I would take a bullet for that guy. But he, <laughs> well-intended, when I first when I told him, hey, I, I have cancer, he immediately text me back, 
with a bunch of links and stuff telling me the scholarship opportunities for college I would have for, that are only eligible for cancer patients. I appreciated his efforts. <laughs> However, just leave me alone, let me grieve. Or come and let me grieve. But don't use optimism. Don't, don't jump to optimism. Okay? It's not a time to be optimistic. Just grieve with them. What they're going through sucks. Um, and then during this Christmas season especially, this holiday season, just keep your eyes open that this isn't, this isn't the most wonderful time of the year. In two weeks, if my child would have been born on his due date, in two weeks, my child will be one years old. It's his birthday. This just looks different for me. This holiday season looks a little bit different for me. Just keep your eyes open to people. Um, another thing that I want to validate is that it doesn't matter. Don't, don't discredit your grieving. Um, some people are, just cannot get over the loss of their dog. Just, just grieve it. Just go through it. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to discredit yourself because it's not as big of a thing as somebody who lost their spouse. Just grieve. Um, after the first service, somebody came up to me and with tears in their eyes about their dog that died 18 years prior. And they said, I just needed this. I mean, just, just give, it, give that to yourself. Some people, everybody, we just, we just grieve differently. Um, so do that. Um, and then know that there's hope. I, I love, uh, we have kind of two bookends. In, in Genesis, we have the way the world was meant to be. And then we have a whole bunch of difficult things in the middle. And then in Revelation 21, 3 and 4, um, hang on, I got to pull it up now. Especially verse 4. He says, he will, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So there's hope. There's hope. God is... God through the entire Bible, and where, wherever you fall in the middle of your life, he's God, he's good, um, understood or not, and just know that it started good and it's going to end really good, and there's hope. And then, then go, go, go out with, with optimism, not optimism, hope. Go out with hope that things are coming, good things are coming. I love what Psalms 34 says. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Okay? Go be close to those that are brokenhearted. Don't try to change their brokenheartedness. Go and um, go out knowing that, uh, that the Lord is close. The Lord is close to you. We're going to have a song here in a minute um, when the worship team comes up. And, and, and I just encourage you during that time, if you want to stay seated, stay seated. And I will give you the opportunity for a couple things. Firstly, grieve and turn, turn on your grief switch. What I mean is that if there are things you haven't grieved and you're, you're bitter about or, or you, um, you haven't gone through it yet, turn that on and, and, and go through it. And, and it's not going to happen in, in the five minutes the song is playing, but, but maybe it'll, it'll start a process. Um, the second thing I want to give you an opportunity to do is we've all said really dumb things to people who are grieving. And, and if you've done that, I, don't, don't kick yourself. Uh, realize, repent if you need to, realize it, and if you want to, to reach out to that person, you can, um, maybe after the service. Um, but just stay seated and, and let the Holy Spirit work if you want to. If you want to stand and, and praise, that's, that's great too. But just give you the opportunity to, to do what you need to do in that time. Let's pray. God, thanks that you are close to the brokenhearted. Thanks that you're up to something. Um, thanks that this world does not have the final say-so. Um, thanks that, uh, that you have 
overcome this world. Your word says that this world is full of trouble, but take heart for, for I have overcome the world. We know that you have. Um, I pray that you would be with the brokenhearted. I pray that you would open our eyes that are so blind sometimes to see those who are hurting. Um, and, and I pray this Christmas season would be a time we, we can go out and see them and, and, and notice them and notice their pain and don't try to fix it, but just be present for it. Um, I, I pray that you would inspire us to do that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work supernaturally for us to see people that we wouldn't normally see. Thank you that you're up to something and we want to be part of it. Amen.